Hi. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to racquetball legend Jennifer Saunders. She won another Canadian Open title. Amazing. Bob Irving stops by to talk about training camp for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And after the Raptors even the series with the Bucks, the big man panel assembles to talk about their chances to make the finals. That's on the podcast. Winnipeg's Jennifer Saunders and Danielle Drury of Saskatoon won gold in the Women's Open Doubles event yesterday at the Racquetball Canada Canadian Championships being held in Langley, B.C. Her 13th Open Doubles Championship title. And with this win, she furthers her title record holding more singles and doubles open titles than any other Canadian athlete in the history of the sport in this country. And Saunders joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Congratulations, Jennifer. How does it feel to be a winner yet again? Um, it was interesting because of the way the uh, division was set up. It was a four-team round robin. And because we were the third seed, we ended up playing our hardest match on the second day. Um, so it was like didn't set up to have the final on the last day, really. So it was interesting to ramp up the intensity on day two, but uh, we managed to win the match in a tiebreaker. And you uh, beat a, a fellow uh, Manitoban in the process? Yeah, my training buddy, uh, Christine Richardson, was uh, the silver medalist on a team with uh, a player from Quebec. Now, uh, you and your uh, teammate, Danielle Drury, how long have you been playing together? Mm-hmm. Well, we played together a few seasons ago and then uh, took a season off. But this year, we had the opportunity to play at the Pan American Championships in April in Colombia, And we won a bronze medal there. And I feel like um, that really gave us a, an edge here because we had already played together uh, five or six matches just, just over a month ago. So I felt like our chemistry was really uh, good and we played really well this week. So this is your 13th Open Doubles Championship title. Do you keep track of these numbers yourself? Yeah. I do keep track of the numbers, but I'm fortunate someone also keeps track on Wikipedia for me. <laughs> is it a number that you really focus on or do you just go out and play? Um, I think when I was chasing other people, I was more focused on it. And now everything is just kind of for fun at this stage of my career. So I enjoy it and I appreciate it, but uh, I'm not really focused on it now. Okay. How is doubles different than singles? Um, well, first of all, you don't get to take every shot. So <laughs> you have to share the ball a little bit. Um, racquetball doubles is pl- played in the same size court as we play singles. So it does get a little crowded in there, and um, strategy becomes a lot uh, more uh, pre- prevalent. Shot selection, moving or moving around between all four people is um, gets kind of crazy. So um, that's kind of how it's different than playing singles. And a crowded. Question, yeah, I guess so. And a question I think a lot of people might have is how different are racquetball and squash? Because I think maybe to the uninitiated, they right. kind of think they're the same thing, but they're really not, right? Right. No, no, not not uh, not very much at all. Um, squash, when they play doubles, they actually um, real squash doubles is played on a, on a larger court um, than they play singles on. So when we play doubles, we're playing in, in the same areas we play singles. Also, racquetball, the ball is quite bouncy and the speed is very high, whereas squash, the ball doesn't bounce a lot as much. So they're more. One of the analogies I heard that kind of explained it really well was if you're playing squash, you're running a marathon, and if you're playing racquetball, you're running a sprint. Is the scoring similar? 
Um, well, squash went to, yeah, very similar. You serve and have to win the rally to score a point, although squash recently went to point-to-rally scoring, whereas racquetball, you have to serve to score a point. If you uh, win the rally while you're receiving serve, you do not score a point. You only win the serve. So a, a match can take quite a long time if there's a lot of side outs and not a lot of points being scored. Right. So in that way, it can become more of a marathon. True, I suppose. Yes, it can. The matches can take a long time, but the the type of rallies we have are more sprint like. Okay. Is there any kind of crowd that can watch these events? How is the the setup at a big racquetball event? So it somewhat depends on the facility. Um, we're currently playing at what I call kind of like an old school or retro uh, racquetball club. So there are glass back walls, but there ten, tends not to be a lot of room behind them. However, some of the um, some of the larger events like the U.S. Open or the Pan Am Games, they'll have an all glass court with um, seating all around them, so you can get quite a few people around around a court like that. Okay. To those who maybe are thinking of trying racquetball, what's uh, some pieces of advice you could give them? Um, well, it's actually probably the easiest racket sport to learn. Um, the, the nature of the ball being bouncy and um, the rackets are light. So it's probably one of the easier racket sports to learn. As well, you're in an enclosed space. So the ball, when you miss the ball, you don't have far to go to get it. Unlike tennis, where sometimes when you're learning, you feel like all you're doing is chasing down missed tennis balls. So it's, it's uh, also economical to play. Um, there's public facilities, and it's uh, quite easy and fun to learn. How long are you going to keep playing for? That's a good question. I'm committed to going to the Pan Am Games in Lima, Peru this summer. Um, I mean, racquetball is a lifetime sport, so I'll probably play it forever. But as far as the national team goes, right now I'm just taking it year by year. But, I mean, as long as you're still winning, right? As long as I'm still winning, as long as they still want me to play for uh, Team Canada, I intend to keep playing, yeah. So how do you balance your roles with Racquetball Manitoba, kind of executive stuff, with training to still play? Um, I'm fortunate that um, Racquetball Manitoba really supports my uh, national team career. So they allow me to um, work flex time. I don't have to take time off to attend tournaments. And then um, now with the Canadian Sport for Life Center, such a great training facility. It's also where my office is located. So it's uh, I've been training at the gym there in the mornings, and then I work in the afternoons. So you're done in Langley, right? No, the doubles is over, oh, okay. but the singles, singles starts today. There's some preliminary matches today, and then I, my first match is tomorrow. Do you like that they're split up like that? Because I know in like big tennis tournaments, you're playing doubles and singles kind of at the same time. Yeah, um, we, we took this decision quite a few years ago in Canada to, to play doubles first and singles second. So I guess I'm used to it. Um, it is nice just to focus on one event at a time. However, when we do go to international events, um, Worlds, Pan Am Games, those sorts of things, we play singles and doubles on the same day. Okay, which do you prefer? Um, good question. I think I like it all running at the same time because there's it's a lot more lot more energy in the entire um, tournament and the venue. There's a lot more going on, so I think I like them both at the same time. You don't get too tired playing that much. Um, yeah, you got to take care of yourself, um, but um, 
usually you get quite a good rest between matches and doubles is doesn't take quite as much out of you as singles of course right okay so uh what are your expectations in singles and to win it all again uh, that's the plan. I'm seated first here, and I'm the defending champ, so I intend to uh, bring another title home to Winnipeg. All right. Well, best of luck, Jennifer. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight. And, uh, again, good Thanks, luck. Thanks, Christian. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers training camp day four in the books, and Bob Irving joins us now live on the show. Bob, how was day four for you? Well, it was okay for me, and I think, uh, Christian, it was okay for most of the players. It's another one of these days where you kind of look skyward and say, what's going on? Because the wind was howling, and I think we all know it got kind of cold out there after a beautiful warm day yesterday. So the weather hasn't been as favorable, I I think, as we'd all like it to be. But uh, the Bombers are very pleased, I know, with the work they've got done in the first four days of camp. Mike O'Shea was talking after the practice today about the competition at receiver. They have some really good looking receiver candidates and and basically one spot open for an import receiver. But then you always like to keep an extra guy or two around uh, to be on the practice roster. So I would say so far so good. You know, it's hard to draw any finite conclusions four days into a camp of how good or bad a team is going to be. I think we all agree that on paper, this is a pretty good looking club. And the first four days of training camp haven't done anything to, you know, get rid of that notion. So it's two weeks really of training camp. What does the progression typically look like over the course of those two weeks in terms of what they're doing? Well, it doesn't change very much. You know, they run largely the same drills every day at the same periods and they time all the periods that they have and then they'll break off into groups and and go through technique drills the defensive backs and the linebackers and then the o-linemen and d-linemen will have one-on-one competitions and there's a lot of what they call team which is when the first team offense lines up against the first team defense and they run a few plays and then the second and third groups go out and do the same thing so it really doesn't change a lot uh, they tighten it up a little bit as they as they go along. And I know the coaches at all levels of football and hockey and all sports, uh, Christian, like to try and incorporate just some different things into their practices so the players don't get totally numb from boredom. Right. But it's a little it's a little difficult to do. You know, there's only so many things you can do uh, in football in terms of preparing for the season. So things aren't going to change much in these in the next week as they gear up for that first preseason game on the 31st of May. But there's a big difference between being, you know, an 8-year veteran and then someone like Brady Oliveira who is this is his first training camp so it's kind of a big eye-opening experience. Oh yeah, the rookies will always say that. The first thing they notice is the speed of the game coming from whether it's a Canadian college or US college. The speed of the game is just a total eye-opener for them. And then uh, it, some of the Europe, well, the three Mexican players and the, the player from Germany have said the pace of the workouts really knocked them over, I guess, at their camps where they play football. You know, I mean, these are fast-paced workouts that the Bombers hold. There's not a lot of idle time. Guys are going and doing something virtually all the time. So that really caught them by surprise. And I know Brady Oliveira would have worked hard at, in college, but these workouts, like today's was about three and a half, almost four hours, you know, with a, a short break in the middle. So that's something new for all these guys. Where's Andrew Harris? Well, he's there every day. Okay, he's just hurt. Uh, yeah, he's, you know, they're not saying what's wrong. I've been told that uh, 
it's a maintenance issue. I, I don't know if he had some surgery. I don't think he had surgery done, but there's something that they don't want to sort of push. And, you know, as I said the other day, he's 32 years old. He's got a lot of miles, and he's still a great, great player. So there's just no point in grinding him down during training camp. So they're, they're uh, you know, taking their time with Andrew. And if he misses the entire uh, training camp, I don't think Michael Shea will be bothered one bit. No, I don't think so either. Well, you mentioned uh, Brady Oliveira before about how you think he's looked very impressive. Who else other uh, out of the young crew of new players looks good to you so far? Well, there's a number of uh, receivers who have looked good in there. They're kind of ones we expected, Christian, uh, from the minicamp in Florida. Rasheed Bailey, uh, Lucky Whitehead, the returner who played for Dallas, has really flashed great speed, and they've done some kick, uh, kick return drills now. And again, it's impossible to tell until you see them in a game return kicks. Matt Hazel, another important receiver who was in Florida, has had a good camp. Garrett Johnson is a young receiver who's had a at a good camp, uh, those would be on Corey Washington, who was here last year, remember, played a couple of games and was with the club most of last year on the practice roster. He's had a really good camp. Another big, tall receiver. He's about 6'4", 6'5". Uh, and I know the Bomber people, the coaches in the management feel that he's really a leading contender for that one import spot that's wide open, and he has done nothing to disappoint them uh, to this point. And then in the secondary Boy, there's well, there's twenty. There were twenty three defensive backs here when training camp opened. Winston Rose signed as a free agent, played fifteen games in BC last year, has been really good through the first four days. Uh, Marcus Rios, uh, another import who was at the Florida camp, has has been solid. Uh, and there's you know two or three others. Mike Jones has looked pretty good. Joe Esty, he wears number seventy. S T E is his last name. Has has looked good. Uh, you know, most of those guys aren't going to be able to make it. Uh, there's only, a, a, you know, after you get past the, the vets, the guys who were here last year, there's only two or three spots that are that are open. But uh, they're, they're, you know, they're all working away and trying to make the coaches uh, notice them. When are the first cuts? Well, I don't know when they're going to make the first cuts. We never know for sure. There used to be a period in the CFL, Christian, where you had to cut down to a certain number by a certain date and then a certain number by another date. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. The only cut that you that is mandatory is the one on June the 8th when you have to be down to your 46-man roster and then the practice roster, injured list, and all that. Um, so I don't know if they're going to make a lot of cuts before that first preseason game, May 31st. I wouldn't think they'd make very many because they turn around and play another preseason game just uh, five or six days later in Regina. So I think they'll make some cuts before June the 8th, but uh, not that many, I don't think. Any big thoughts on the CFL and the Players Association ratifying the new CBA? Well, that was to be expected, so that's no surprise. Now, Chad Rempel, the Blue Bomber player rep who was in on all of the negotiating sessions, apparently is arriving in the city tonight. He hasn't been here for the first four days, and all of the players who were on the players negotiating committee had kind of a four or five day grace period uh, where they didn't have to show up at camp. And then they spent some of that time, I know, traveling from city to city to brief the players on what was agreed to. The one thing that I want to find out about, and I think just everybody does, Christian, is that the clause where if you play three years with the same team or four years in the league, you receive a special designation. And most of us haven't received a, a full explanation of exactly how that's going to work. 
And so we're all kind of waiting for that. Now, whether or not Chad Rempel will uh, give us that in the next day or two, I'm not sure. I was heard that it, it might take a week or two before everybody in the league has a chance to fully understand how that works uh, before anybody's prepared to talk openly about it. It won't have any great impact on how things go this season, but it's a curious part of the mm-hmm. agreement and, and one that I'm anxious to hear more about just, just exactly how it's going to work. What's your best personal remedy for a sore throat or a lost voice? Yeah, I heard you. Uh, <laughs> I don't have one. You, <laughs> you know what you need to do? Get a lot of rest. Um, I was told by a doctor once to, if you have a sore throat, lozenges with zinc in them, you can buy these zinc lozenges. Okay. And they apparently, and I've tried them, and they're pretty good. Uh, they do help. So okay. you might want to go that route. But other than that, get to bed early and sleep late, Christian. All right, we'll see what I can do. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. Earlier today, I assembled the big man panel, and uh, they made fun of my voice. <laughs> so after the Game 3 win... By Toronto, a lot of people were thinking, oh, they barely won. Series is going to be over in five. And then last night happens, Ty, and everything is good again, and the Raptors are going to win everything. First off, could you stop smoking in here? You know, (laughs) it's getting hard to breathe. Uh, It was an incredible win, Uh, 120 to 102. Uh, You know, they really put the boot down in the fourth, I would say. Uh, I didn't uh, really get to catch up, but I watched the highlights, and I was like, man, at the end of the fourth, they really... uh, strapped down and I believe they pulled Giannis after a couple minutes had passed because they were like this is over about four minutes left they kind of waved the white flag yeah if yeah if that and that was even probably generous of them they could have pulled Giannis a little bit more I mean he played the same amount of minutes as Kawhi 34 which is good for Kawhi considering he played upwards of 50 the last game he needs to play less uh 34 and a 20 and 18 point win is is good the Raptors need him to play about that and the reason was the bench was amazing for Toronto. Yeah, they were amazing. Us, uh, I was I was gonna rattle off the numbers from Meeks, Boucher, Lennon, Miller, and Moreland because they got a couple minutes, but like no, they all got like a rebound each. But uh, yeah, Serge Ibaka putting up seventeen points. Fred Van Vliet, steady Freddie, thirteen points, uh, a six assist. Uh, Norman Powell with eighteen, uh, unbelievable. Uh, you, you know what? You didn't even notice this, but Pascal Siakam. Uh, only seven points, six assists, and four rebounds, which is still okay, uh, but it's nothing to really write home about. Well, and the Raptors to win by 18 with their two most consistent players this playoffs getting a combined uh, 26 points, that's good. That's what you want. I mean, Kyle Lowry had a crazy game for him. Marcus Saul played really well, hit some open shots, had a really amazing uh, bounce pass sequence with Kawhi where he like motioned with his head, and that was really fun to see. That's sort of the, the stuff that Gasol brings to the court that a guy like uh, JV uh, Valanciunas, he wouldn't. And even though people were complaining about his I was lack of stats, <laughs> some of the times that's the court vision. That's the extra basketball IQ that Danny that Green's brings. still nowhere to be seen. Four points. I mean, he got that layup at the start of the game, and I was like, here we go. He's going to be uh, firing hot. And then just. I said this on the career sports panel yesterday. I think that I think Danny Green's going to come out and say, like, he's going to have some injury whenever this season's over for him, I think, because okay. he's. I could be wrong, but it just seems like he's, I mean, he's obviously played better. He's played in the NBA Finals, so this isn't like a crushing he's got a ring. pressure for him, so he should know how to do this a bit better than he has been. Now, you go, cold streaks happen, so it could just be that, but I think it's more. Fred Van Vliet had been pretty bad. Yeah, and we were all kind of shocked because he was always a fairly good backup. That's Five what I thought. Five of six for 13 points. Norman Powell, 18 points on six of 18 shooting. He's just <laughs> chucking it. 
He was, oh, was, well, he was a lot of open shots. I like the confidence, but yeah, you got to shoot better than six he of 18. He was open, though. At least he took them. That was like a big thing with the Philadelphia series. Like, take your shots, you know? I'd rather have guys confidently missing shots than scared to take them right. You'd Fair. probably want that every time. Now's the issue with Philly. On the other side of the ball, Chris Middleton has a great game. Phenomenal. 30 points. On 15 shots. Yeah. yeah. Giannis has 25 points, but they've figured out, it seems defensively, how to sh- slow him down. Well, like I said, a couple panels ago, I was like, Kawhi's going to be on Giannis. And you guys were like, no, he won't. He'll be well, and he really wasn't all that much in games one and two. And then they strapped him on him, and it was just like, yeah, that guy's got D, but uh, Middleton, unreal. Brooke Lopez had his one moment in the sun. You know, yeah. sit down, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> we got the caveman and Mark Gasol to beat you. Eric Bledsoe, just not he's, good. No, he's had a rough series for sure. And it's it it shows how amazing Giannis Antetokounmpo has played that you can look at his stat line at 25 uh, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 blocks, and go, you know, the Raptors did a really good job on him. <laughs> That's yeah. how good he is when you're just like, that was a great performance by the Raptors' defense to stifle I mean, Giannis. it's not Harden level yet where it's like, oh, he only got 40 points? What? You know? Right. But it's it's still true. Like, yeah, they I did. I mean, guys like Giannis, you can't really stop. You just have to make it tough. Shaq them, also really. pointed out a lot of Giannis's points uh, came in transition, so it was like there was no D on him anyway, so. it's He's impossible to stop when he's just running down the court like that. It's crazy. So. The home team has won every game so far. Who's going to win on the road? Or is anybody going oh, to? Man. Oh, man. Don't even put that stress on me or I'll end up back in the hospital. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, it's a real coin. It's just how hungry they are, I guess. And, like, the first quarter, I, I you don't really learn anything about the game until the second quarter is what I found. Or the second half if you look at the Portland uh, State Series. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> true. I'm just speaking from the Raptors. Like, I always think I'm like, oh, the first quarter they're feeling each other out in all, all their previous games. And then I'm like... This is just nothing. They're just trying to get their points on the board, and like they're going to start really uh, going at it after uh, maybe when there's like three minutes left in the second. You can see the intensity kind of pick up. Yeah, I mean, like it is weird. Like every game now in the NBA, there's just like narrative shifts. Every win, every loss, and so if anyone who you ask now, I go, oh, well, the Raptors are going to win the series now. I still don't know if that's the case, but I mean, if they found a way though to keep Giannis in relative check then they could have a path to the NBA Finals. I don't know if they can consistently do that. Yet he's great. had a he's had an average series despite scoring I think, well, 23 Kyle points. Kyle Lowry's been average. great. So. Yeah. yeah, can can we consistently depend on that? I though? think he knows this could be his last run. And also, I don't understand. I'm still on Twitter, and I'm seeing so many people, like in Manitoba even, who are cheering for the Bucks over the Raptors. Why? And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, they're like, I don't like Toronto. I'm like, yeah, but it's Canada's team. They're like, I wish they played in a different city. I'm like, we'll never get another city if you don't support this one. Is Milwaukee further north than Toronto? No. 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 <laughs> no. Just but the whole point just is, the like, you can't out. say you're a fan of Canadian basketball and then not cheer for the Raptors because we'll never get another team unless people pour out and support for the Raptors. Like, it's just never going to happen. Right. You they... know? You'll never see the return of the Grizzlies unless... Uh... Well, you want the Winnipeg Grizzlies, I know. (laughs) But back to this series, oftentimes it's said that your bench is usually better at home. Yeah. We saw that with the Raptors in these games compared to the Bucks. So it is really a toss-up. And let's just talk about Golden State for a bit. It's amazing. Just every game. Oh, Portland's going to do it. They're finally going to win the game. No. Three Three straight games they're up by it. At least fifteen points, the Trailblazers, and then, and yet, and yet, nobody was like, "Well, I guess Portland's going to win this." They're just like, "All right, well, let's wait and see what the, when, when, literally, not if, 
when the Warriors decide to turn it on. And they did. It was just, it's remarkable. It's incredible basketball to watch. It was a lot. It was a lot. And then the, they say, like, KD's going to be ready. And I'm like, great. Well, maybe OG will be ready if we make it there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it would be something. It'd be a movie moment if either team, like even the Bucks or the Raptors, if they can beat the Warriors, it'd be a, it would be a movie. I just can't see it. I can't either. It's just amazing how I mean I, we think honestly, oh, yeah. Like I don't understand why people are like, "Hey, Steve Kerr, greatest coach of all time." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? My grandma could coach the Warriors <laughs> to the NBA Finals." Luke she's, Curry, is Luke, she's Luke dead. Walton, Curry. Luke Walton coached the Warriors. Yeah, Curry's an all time great. Yeah, and like uh, Draymond Green is a, a character. I don't like him at all. I don't think he should be uh, on the all time greats. What a series, though. When you have He's a when you amazing. have a charisma like that, you get in the players' heads. Uh, Clay Thompson, unreal. Kevin Durant, unreal. Come on, Looney. They got but, these guys. I don't know. But guys like Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson, while they don't get as many points for coaching, whether they deserve to or not, the managing aspect of their job and keeping all those Whoa. guys with huge egos and keeping them in check, basically, because you win and you're happy. Like, do you not think? That uh, Jeff Courier could not go out there and coach the Warriors? I think he could. <laughs> well, they'd win at least 50. They'd yeah. win at least 50 make, with Jeff there. They'd make know? the playoffs. they turn it on at the right time, I think. But yeah, <laughs> the, being able to juggle that, those amount of egos. Now, they got pretty lucky, Steph being like sort of a pretty easygoing superstar. That's not the norm, obviously. But like, just imagine working with Draymond every day. I Imagine you had to work with Draymond Green it. every day. Oh, I wouldn't be able to do it at all. I'd be like, nope, I'm going to go play in Atlanta. <laughs> all right. So before I let you guys go, we will reconvene this ahead of the NBA Finals. Will it be Bucks or Raptors? I'm sticking with my pick in the Raptors. I got to. Yeah, I'll stick with my pick as the Bucks, not because I fe- not because I want it to happen. I just don't. I think every series, just every game, just is a home victory. And, I think uh, at this point, Christian, you're fifty <laughs> fifty. Well, I said Bucks in six before, and that's still alive. Still on the table. Yep. On the table. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go chug some cough syrup. That's what I sounded like at uh, a quarter to one this afternoon. I think I sound better now. Sky Neller is telling me no. So, well. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?